From multiple collaborative locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Mark Mandel, founder of game server hosting platform Egones, to discuss open source software. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Hi, Mark. Other Mark, new Mark, bonus Mark. <laughs> Ooh, I like bonus Mark. Bonus I Mark. I'll take it. I'll take it. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so we talked about this a little bit before we um, before we kicked off the recording, and um, you do a bunch of things. You know, we introduced you as founder of Igones, but you do a bunch of other stuff. You work for Google Cloud, um, where you lead the developer relations team that works on online and connected games, and you founded Igones. And you have a dog. What else? Um, it's all about the dog, really. Uh, she mm-hmm. leads our life. Um, what else do I do? I also am GDC Summit Advisor for the Online Game Tech Summit, uh, which is actually happening this year. Um, we talk about Ooh. stuff for, for online games. Um, and very, very occasionally, I will Twitch and do YouTube videos about backends for games or just Twitch stream open source software development uh, for games, for backends for games. Yeah. So, yeah. I was stuff. looking at... yeah. At your YouTube channel, it's pretty built out. Um, most of it's more technical than I can process at this point in time, but I'm sure lots of my, our listeners would get a kick out of looking into your stuff. So we'll be sure to link all your things in the show notes and talk about them a little bit later in the episode. But to kind of start leaning into things, I have a really serious question for you, and that is, yep. did I pronounce Egones right? Did I pronounce it right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yes. I'm gonna um so that's a we can we can go down that whole rabbit hole, but that's an open source project I founded. Uh it's a Greek word meaning uh it was like before Olympics, it was like a collaborative competition thing that would happen inside a town for like sports competitions. But I have been told by Greek friends of mine that it should be a hones with a soft G. Mm. Oh uh, with a hard G, it just means elbows. Um, oh okay. okay which i'm okay with either way it's fine but like i don't speak greek so i we, we got a name through legal and pr and it's fine yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's fine that's a good way of putting it i kind of i'm gonna put elbows on the shelf as a name for something in the future yeah um yeah. completely unrelated yeah. but it, it does sound like a good name for something uh, yeah um so we're we're here to talk about open source, yes. Um, and I would like you to introduce open source to me as a noob because I yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been programming for years. I don't really use a lot of open source software, um, and don't understand the benefits of them of it. So or or do you? And are you not aware of it? Oh, mm-hmm. there we go. Twist. Ooh. Didn't see that coming. There we go. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's. We can, there's, there's, yeah, I have, I have so many thoughts and feels, which is why we're here um, <laughs> about open source in general and open source in the games industry as a whole. But let's, yeah, let's, let's sort of set some definitions. So, okay. So what is, what is open source quote unquote? And I'm sure the answer to this will vary slightly from different people inside technical communities and programming communities and whatnot. But generally speaking, I look at it as, 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 uh, as free and open source software. So what does that mean? Open source means that um, you can see the source, right? Like I can download it. Quite often it's stored on something like GitHub where you can actually go see it. It's available, then not necessarily. Um, so I can go look at it and play with it and, and touch it and see all the cool things that are going on. But it's also free 
in that it has some sort of open source license that allows me legally to able to do stuff with it. And there's a whole bunch of different open source licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, things like Apache 2, MIT are very prevalent, other ones as well. That's a whole other topic in and of itself. But generally, some sort of license that usually says, hey, it's cool that you can use this software to do the stuff that you want to use it for. Um, and this is a whole ecosystem of technology. But yeah, I mean, uh, if you're running, Stephen, like what what operating system do you use on the regular? Uh, Windows. Windows, less likely to hit as much open source stuff. But like, um, <laughs> yeah. if you're using anything like Audacity, if you're using Blender. Oh, I'm using Audacity projects, to record this as we speak. There you go, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Well, even if in Windows, on... like uh, Microsoft has added, like I think Notepad is, and is, and the, oh, the, the new Windows that? Terminal is open source, and oh. like Visual uh, Studio Code, right? Yes, yeah. VS Code is a great yeah. example, and yeah, I know you use that, Stephen. Mm-hmm. I do. Okay. You know it, the 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 open source like it's it's a bit of a misnomer, right? Because there like it's, it, there are tools and frameworks where you can see the source, but they're not quote unquote open source as we sort of understand it in the zeitgeist. Yeah, like I think what uh, Unreal, uh, you can get at the the source, and I think I think even Unity opens up a lot of its components lately. But that's still under those same licenses. You just can now see the source to understand it better. So it's different from free and open source. Sure, right? Yeah, sure. I would usually refer to something like that as like source available, which is mm-hmm. you know, and there and there are different patents and different uh, commercial ecosystem type things. Um, we can dig into some of that too. But yeah, usually, like for the sake of the discussion, usually, yeah, I, I narrow it down to free and open source type stuff. Um, because that's, that's, well, now is just to narrow things a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's good to know. And now, and I guess now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I guess I am using a bunch of open source things. Um, but what is the benefit of an open source of open source stuff? I guess like I've downloaded a bunch of extent. Oh, did I, did I, <laughs> no, sorry. Did I say something controversial? Oh yeah. You're getting them revved up now. I just, I just had to cough. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm curious because like I know that I, I use some like with Visual Studio Code, I use some extensions and such. And I know that yep. that is one of the benefits is just a lot of people can add a bunch of stuff that you can use to the thing. Um, and as somebody who like mods games, even though those, like a lot of those games are not open source game or uh, they're not open yep. source games, like, you know, I get the benefit of communities messing with stuff and I get to put those into my games and whatever else, too. Um, Absolutely. So um, I'm. I might I might narrow the conversation just a little bit further in, yeah, in this sure. in this aspect as well as well because um, when we talk about open source and even if we talk gaming yeah. that is a wide gamut like there's mm-hmm. there's whole open source games for example right uh, zero d uh, what's the other one I was looking at the other day uh, Valorian um, I used one called Synodic, it's an FPS game like there's there's all kinds of that stuff all the way to the other side which is the stuff that I generally work in the space of which are projects that I tend to look at as like plumbing or like common utilities hmm. or things that we all kind of just need which which is usually the realm that i sort of sit in so like what's a thing that we all need that we can just use to build on top of like you're using audacity for example like right an easy sound editor that's super useful to a bunch of people mm-hmm. um yes there are commercial platforms out there but it would be super nice if we all just got together and built out some free stuff that we can all agree on and build a, a nice platform for that that we can all take advantage of so whether it's a piece of software like Audacity or a framework or set of tooling that does a very specific job in a particular programming language or something like that, that can that can usually work really well. I usually call these uh, plumbing style projects, which is ah. like 
you know, like it's important that you have plumbing in your house because if you don't have it, that tends to be bad. But it's not like someone's coming into your house and being like, my, look at the plumbing you have. Right? Like, that's, <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's not a, it's only, it's only a problem if you don't have it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah. So, but um, when we talk about sort of like why, why, why I think open source is important, why I love open source, especially, I think there's, there's two angles of that. And it sounds like there's both the consumer and the contributor. And some of that kind of bleeds into each other. Uh, well, as a as a consumer, right, you're getting something for free, which is nice. Yeah, right. You're like, I don't great. pay for Audacity. I don't play for for some of that stuff. Right. Um, the the cost there, I think, though, is is kind of interesting. And again, depending on where that project is, like, I build kind of frameworks and libraries that people use. Something that I work on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, if you pay for a commercial piece of software, say, you pay with your money. You're like, I get the thing and I expect it to work. And if it doesn't work, then I can go complain because I gave you money and you didn't give me the thing I want. Right. Um, in open source land, I like to say that people pay with their time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. You get something for free. If it doesn't work, you need to go back and you're probably going to go back and be like, hey, I tried to use this thing. And here's the reproducible case for all the stuff that went wrong. And if you're really, really keen, you might be like, I'm going to go play with the code and see if I can make it work and, and fix it. Um, or even just go into the documentation and fix it. Or if, you know, like there's, doesn't have to be code it could, or just like UX type stuff or, or whatever. Sure. Um, so there's, there's that kind of duality of it. But what I love about that is that it also opens up these walled gardens of knowledge, which mm. I think is really exciting. Um, so I, like, like we were talking about, so I started a project that's called Agones, um, it's about scaling multiplayer game servers. Right? And if that's not your area of expertise, that's totally fine. But what was, what's awesome about that and what I love is that we have all these people from different game studios coming to this project to work together, learn from each other, build on best practices, experiences, mistakes, and do it in an environment where you're not constrained so much by deadlines, you're not constrained so much by technical debt. You're not constrained so much by like, hey, I need this done like right now and there's a manager breathing down my neck kind of thing. And so we're able to take the time and I don't want to say do it right, but like try and lead to some optimal paths and mm. build out a, a great experience for everyone from mm. top to tail um, and learn from each other throughout the entire process. Um, and so it, it's it's just such a, not only is it like, hey, like, we can change the way, you know, software gets built and like games get made and that kind of stuff. But also we can change the way people learn from each other um, and help expand knowledge in certain areas. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not just about the tool that is built as a result of the effort. It's also about the effort and how that's organized to benefit the people involved. It's about the journey, not the destination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that can, you know, that can, uh, that's one of the pitfalls too, because sometimes it's all journey and no destination, right? <laughs> yeah. on certain tools, right? Yes, yes. It's, you should ship it. Ship some something sometimes. That's also yeah. important. Yeah, there's, it's just two sides of the coin, right? Like the, all the benefits have like, um, um, uh, uh, like um, pitfalls or qualities which you need to account for. Um, I think there's a lot of um, people who step into, like, I'm going to use this open source things because it's free and I have no money. Like that's a yeah. big motivation for people, I think, when to start using stuff like yeah. that. And then they're like, but but they they can't get out of the sense of like it's a product I bought because we don't actually 
that what the value of it is not like we don't keep that in our minds exactly and so they tend you know it's like why doesn't this work and it's like well there's lots of reasons why it doesn't work for you right now but like like you're saying you 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 need to pay for it with your time and i think that's very it's a very difficult leap for a lot of people to make and it makes open source projects very hard to catch fire on a wide user base because it's hard to get a large user base who's willing to pay their time uh to, even if even for things you know like that feel like commercial products like VS Code or Audacity, things that you can just download and use, there's still a little bit more you got to do that because you're not going to get professional support and stuff like that. And honestly, it depends on the, pro- the the open source project too. There are plenty of commercial open source projects out there where in mm-hmm. um, I mean the classic example is something like Red Hat Linux or something like that where yeah. you know it's an open source product, but they they make money through consulting or supportive services or additional things on top. There's I mean there's yeah the whole there's a whole commercial open source again is a whole wide and vast topic as well. I, I kind of sit like I do actually, I would say I'd sit in that space as well. Um, I work for a giant company. I work for Google cloud. We, they pay me to help build open source software. We build managed services on top of that, but uh, it's, it's always, it's always trade-offs and, and with, with all this kind of stuff, right. Um, and, and costs and benefits and um, what I was going to use. And it, it's, it also depends whether you are a consumer or whether you are, looking to use or author or create um mm-hmm. but being clear about what motivates you and making the a, a structured decision on what those cost benefits are is what's i think what's important um mm-hmm. yeah because yeah I, I agree like if you're if you're a company and you're like making decisions on <clears throat> pick a thing right like what game engine i'm gonna use or all that kind of stuff or or what um what piece of sound, you know, middleware you're using, or what are my authoring tools going to be? You, there needs to be a vetting process throughout that, regardless, right? Like, what skills do we have? Who writes this software? Do we trust them? If something goes wrong, is there somewhere we can go to? Mm-hmm. Is it, does that, and that may not necessarily be like, is there a commercial entity, but maybe it's like, okay, there isn't a commercial entity, but the community is extremely active. So, like, that's fine. That seems fine. Uh, if something goes wrong, could we fix it ourselves? Do we want to fix it ourselves? Um, and and like, but that's and that's all true for whether it's commercial or whether it's open source, um, and the scale of that tool as well, right? If it's a three line library that you found on GitHub mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, all right, that's easy, whatever. Um, but are you like, shall we be using Blender or Maya? Becomes a different kind of conversation as well. Right, right, right. Which is not to say that you should use one or the other. I have no strong opinions on that. I've, I don't make art in any way, shape, or form. I, that's not my skills. Well, and it probably yeah. depends on the answers to some of the questions that you just listed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and just the way you described it is absolutely true of, like, it, independent of open source. It's just when you evaluate the tools you use, the product you buy, that for your business or for yourself, like, a lot of the same things come into factor. And I, So decoupling those considerations and that path you have to take to make those decisions from... Like not marrying the idea of what open source is to that kind of thinking or, or parts of that thinking that you may be more t- associated with it because it does apply to everything you do everywhere you go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a big motivator I see for like the stuff that I build um, quite often, usually the companies I work with, which are, which are pretty big companies usually, um, for them, it's about control, right? Mm-hmm. I want to know what my software <clears throat> stack is. I want to know that if I need to tweak it for the certain type of game that I'm doing in the way that works. Control is everything. Mm. So being able to step into open source is actually super nice because they're like, I can see the code. Uh, the platform's nice and modular. There's a, like an API surface. Like I can program against it if I want to. Um, 
And so I can take it in the direction I need it to go. And also I can be part of the roadmap. I can become part of the community. I can help drive that process. If there's something that's missing that I think needs to be built in, I can help design it. I can, you know, like, yeah, again, I'm paying with my time, but I get that benefit mm -hmm. back. Um, yeah, and I can also yeah. throw it out there and be like, hey, this is the feature I want. What do you all think about it? And then that whole community can come together and be like, hey, this is a great idea. But if we tweak it this way, then like we can do all these other things as well. So you get the benefit of not only having the knowledge and experience of the people inside your studio and the groups that you work with, but like a wide gamut of people who have all kinds of interesting use cases and perspectives. Yeah, that hits on the, the question I had about like motivations uh, along the, in the whole ecosystem. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what what makes a big company like Google other than say maybe it's sort of founding philosophy? It's kind of always works this way a little bit. But why is Google supporting these open source projects when it is essentially the biggest company in the world? Like, what is the motivation for them? Is a lot of it the fact that that the time that people pay for it actually does help build the product? Because I know that's when you maintain a project, you know, giving the people the code will motivate them to make, help you make those fixes. Yeah. Um, no, but a, why does Google need that help? You know, <laughs> that's a really good question. Uh, I will answer broadly because I like my job and I'd like to keep it rather than <laughs> respond specifically <laughs> on Google's behalf. Oh, here comes my dog. There we go. I knew it was going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I closed the door. So now she's like, now I have to leave. Um, but I, I think and that I think that goes to like a, a broader question of um if I'm a if I'm a commercial company, I'm a studio or something like that, and maybe I have an idea for an open source project, or I, I want to commit time to it. Why why would I do that? And I think there's actually an interesting set of uh, reasons for that that are, can be commercially motivated. Other than like I like open source and doing it is cool, which I agree with philosophically, but often can't <laughs> convince I don't know C level executives to be like, yeah, sure, I'll let you give away stuff for free. That seems reasonable. Um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So strangely enough, those people don't think that way. Who knows? Huh, weird. Um, <laughs> weird. Yeah. Right. Um, so again, yeah, I think we, we've touched on a few things there. I think um, one being able to build products that exceed the knowledge and experience of the company you're working with. Um, so building building a, a better mousetrap, essentially, um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, sort of being able to leverage the people as well. Right. Like having more people than just you would have inside the your close vicinity to, to be able to work on the project um, is great. You do have to manage those people. That's a whole thing. You do you do have to manage those people. There's a certain community management aspect of, of, of uh, open source that's worth considering in that. But having that extra experience and having the extra people who may necessarily flow in and flow out or may stick around depending um, can, be, can be useful. Um, another such thing um, is about even like disruption or setting the standard amongst the industry. You might look at something and be like, oh my God, I've built this 10 times inside companies. And I really wish we just had one true way of doing this. I mean, XKCD comic, notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> which is the show thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but you might be like, well, you know what? I really want to set the standard for how this is, or set a standard at the very least. Like this is, this is a tool. I want, to, I want a tool that is common amongst the industry that we all work on. Um, not only is that great for like your visibility for like hiring and all that sort of good fun stuff, but also that makes onboarding easier. That makes transferring between companies easier. Um, it means suddenly, you know, if somebody, if you're like, I want to build a game, everyone knows how this thing works. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about doing all that work. Um, mm -hmm. And that can also be a nice benefit as well. So those can, those can be some fun stuff. There's also other aspects of it too, just straight marketing as well. Like, hey, look, we do this stuff in the open. If you want to see what it is that we do, um, come have a look at our code, come see how we communicate with other people. All right. 
everything's in the open because it's transparent. You know, you can see how we discuss issues, how we come to resolutions. You can see how that stuff gets built inside our company. So if you mm -hmm. want to come work for us, you have a pretty good idea of how that works. By the same token, um, it can be a hiring pipeline as well, right? You have people who come into your community and step up. Um, I do usually put a bit of a proviso on that in that, like, make it a pipeline, not like the pipeline. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. People who have free time tend to fit into certain demographics. Um, so just, just keep that in mind, right? Um, not everyone is privileged as I am to work on open source and get paid for it. Yeah. So like, if you're like, oh, yeah, what am I doing at 9 p.m. at night sitting in front of my laptop working on open source code? That's, you know, not everyone has that free time. So, um, and that's sort of, sort of can limit it, but a, a pipeline for people coming in can be super nice. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's also the nice altruistic, Hey, I just want to give back. But, uh, yeah, sometimes that, and I, I believe in that. And I think that's very important yeah, but yeah. at the same time. Yeah. It's, I think, I think those sort of motivations from a very commercial point of view make a lot of sense. If you're, if you're like a company or a studio, um, yeah, if if that's the that's the sort of thing you want to do, and it, it can also just be a nice way to differentiate. Um, sure, sure. If you're, I look at I I call this out a lot because I think they're doing amazing work. Um, if you look at the stuff that Embark Studio does in Elmo, um, they've been huge in the Rust ecosystem, huge in the open source ecosystem. They're on like a lot of the foundations. Um, and for me, like I look at them and I'm like, you know, if 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 you're if you're wanting to step into that ecosystem, that just seems like a perfect company to do that and differentiate them from say the wider set of, of game companies out there. So yeah, that's super yeah. cool. And I give them big thumbs up for doing that work. It's interesting. You just talk, like talking about that sort of like the, what makes a company uh, uh, compatible with that philosophy. And the example I really think of is like um, Adobe, um, which is like for years and years, you know, it's the way it interfaces with customers is through just like, you know, tons of like user forums and like, they have like a interesting way of, doing accepting feedback and like i've talked personally to a lot of the teams on some of those projects and like i'm a nobody and like they listen but they're not good at open source like they they did they did a, a text editor called brackets which was really interesting yep. and and um they sh they shipped a fork of it commercially and then they tried to maintain it but like compare that to microsoft which you know famously you know had its like extend and extinguish policy in the 90s which was you know very very hyper competitive and now they're like the open source company and like they've made that yeah. shift and Adobe couldn't really do have. it. They, an they announced last month that they're ending support for brackets. And so who knows what's going to happen to that as an open source project because it still exists on GitHub, uh, also a Microsoft product. So it's just fat. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how like it, it, it isn't just about like wanting some of the goals that, that you can uh, strive for with open source, like having an open community and lots of good feedback because I mean, people give, uh, you know, crap to Adobe a lot, but I think they're pretty good. At, at, <laughs> at working with customers but the, yeah they, they were just they completely fell on their face when it came to like man doing that kind doing it in that way um where microsoft managed to do it and whereas you know and google's always had that that skill yeah um, to me that speaks to the the cultural element around whether a business will be successful at implementing an open source part of their product or you know feature or a fork or something like that. To me, that speaks mm -hmm. to a cultural element. And if Microsoft wasn't mm -hmm. doing that in the 90s and they shifted to, to do um, open source successfully, that, that's, that's, that's a pretty difficult transition because I don't know about all the, you know, all the cultural implications of what that would mean for an organization of that size, but based on the things that you've been saying, bonus mark, 
Um, <laughs> that's huge. That's huge. If it's baked into your DNA, like Google, then yeah. it's it's just something that you're continuing and that momentum, that cultural momentum can carry through. But to do a pivot like Microsoft seems to have done is mm-hmm. it's interesting, worth studying. Yeah, we. I mean, we were talking about sort of incentives for doing open source stuff. I think mm-hmm. as well the uh, something <laughs> I think people don't talk about as much. And and um, there's a there's a great website called To Do Group, um, which I refer to as a open source programs office in a box. So we're talking about incentives for doing open source, and I think the second part of that that I think unfortunately gets skipped over a lot when people are like, I want to do this thing. Here's the reasons: is they don't track any of that work. Mm-hmm. Because if you mm-hmm. don't track the work, you don't know whether you're getting the benefits that you actually are expecting um, and have the policies in place to do so. So uh, we, I mean, lots and lots of companies who do open source work have what's commonly referred to an open source programs office, which is mm. a group in the company that works out what are the policies for open source? When does stuff get approved, not approved? How do we track the work that's been happening? Are we getting the benefits from it that we want as a company? Um, tying that all up in like a nice, pretty commercial bow of like, how do we get through the legalese, but also how do we make sure that we're doing the things that we want to do in the way we're doing it? Yeah, to, if, if that's something that you're like, as a company, you're like, hmm, maybe we want to do this open source thing. You don't have to do a big thing, but just having something, even if it's a Google Doc or spreadsheet, that's just like, here's all the stuff we're doing and like how many commits yeah. we're having and doing some just basic reporting. But just keeping that aspect of it alive just to ensure that your goals are aligned. Um, and... Um, Making sure that lawyers are happy as well. Um, <laughs> if you know, if you're a small company, you probably don't care as much. But you know, if you have lawyers on staff who, who traditionally, especially in the games industry, who um, aren't the best at saying yes to things, I've found. I don't know, <laughs> um, especially things about like releasing. You know, how does this work into the public? Um, having something like this that can liaise with them is usually a good thing. Uh, Linux Foundation also does training for lawyers around uh, open source licenses as well. Um, I feel like I haven't looked in a while. I'm pretty sure they used to have some free courses, but go double check, but they definitely do paid engagements as well. Um, so that can be a resource to take advantage of as well. Cause that's, that's honestly lawyers and PR inside gaming companies tends to be one of the biggest obstacles I see for contribution back to open source. And I've seen everything from, no, you can't even put a, an issue on GitHub. Like you can't write a question online to the open source team about how a project works through to like, mm. yeah, like, it, I mean, there's layers, like I've seen like small bits where they're like, okay, yeah, you can, you can do that, but you can't like patch a patch an issue or write some code and contribute it back all the way through to no, you can't even release anything and, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it varies, but yeah, that, that aura of secrecy, or I like to say facade of secrecy, cause I don't actually think it exists. Um, inside <laughs> gaming is, uh, is, can be, can be a challenge but one that's uh, yeah, with the right processes and the right, right uh, people in place can, can be overcome, I feel. Mm-hmm. Boy, this sounds uh, difficult. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, so the C-level has to say yes, and the lawyers have to say yes, and the people have to say yes, and the culture has to be okay. <laughs> so then this is, yeah. this is where like, if you're, if you're a company and you want to get involved with open source anyway, having even, I mean, like I said, even if it's just a lightweight thing to just be like, okay, what's our process? What do we, what do we agree to do? And what do we not agree to do? Sure. Um, and just have some lines in the sand, then that can make things so much easier. Sure. Right? Like mm-hmm. then you're like, yes, you can use it, but you can't con- like, what, what is it? And then at least then you can, um, 
even if it's even if it's sort of my one of my favorite phrases, which I don't uh, I don't claim credit to, is like even if it's an initial sacrificial draft, you went to your company and you were like, <laughs> "What can we do and what we can't?" And that's your negotiating starting point. Like at least that gets mm-hmm. the ball rolling. You're yeah. like, "Okay, but that doesn't make sense. I could I could do that. Come on." Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's I'm also a process too, to, which uh, you could just de- you could determine yeah. that maybe open source isn't the right path for you. You can come in like just this is great, well. but then that it's not just no, right? It's it's actually yeah. it's a it's fact finding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once again, comes down to dialogue, <laughs> conversation, communication. People. Right. Spirit of openness all the way. Right? Squishy, <laughs> squishy people doing squishy things with their squishy brains. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> it's a good way of describing humans. Yeah. <laughs> just a bunch of just meat computers. Yeah. Just <laughs> meat sacks filled with glue. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> When you when we describe ourselves that way, it really sets expectations in a way that I think is helpful. You know, like God. the fact that we're like ambulatory at all and manage to achieve anything is a miracle. Like, oh, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Especially when you think about okay, it's just meet just groups of goo, just groups of goo trying to do stuff. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. It's fine. All right. Even what were you going to say? I assume it wasn't something about meat goo sacks. I mean, but we can change the topic to that if we want. Um. (laughs) So, you know, at the end of the episode, which will come up later, because that's how it always works, right? You know, here's our mid-episode chit-chat. And then we have a end of episode chit chat. Yes. Did you hear that dog sound? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that wasn't what I was going to talk about. What I was going to talk about is we always talk about like you know we have show notes and resources and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to just make sure everyone knows how easy it is to use the website to go and find content from past episodes that um, can still be helpful and relevant today. So. I just wanted to tell you guys what I did. I went to the website and I went to the search bar and I typed in open source and I got a few results. Um, here's one where we talk about Drupal. Um, here's one where we talk about visual understanding environment an open source project for managing digital stuff. And then there's a couple uh, a couple results where um, I think Martha was talking about Gitkraken, which is open yeah. source. Mm-hmm. So this is just an example of like the slice of stuff you can get um, for when you're searching specific terms, there's this whole history of uh, episodes and show notes that you can find easily and yeah. reference. Yeah, it's like something... four years of content. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there's a lot of stuff. Ever listening to an episode and you want to hear more, there's a good chance we've talked a little bit more about it. And uh, the website has lots of tools to make that easy for you. So, for example, I just typed in Star Trek into the search thing, and I got three pages of results. So, oh my god, you know, three pages? Yeah. <laughs> That's surprising. Yeah, I was thinking it'd be more than that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Mark, when you redid the website, you put in this... I, I don't remember if this was there before you redid the website, but I know it's definitely been there since there because it mm-hmm. looks really cool. On the homepage, you've got these little clicky buttons. Clicky buttons. They have all the clicky buttons that give, have all the different types of episodes, and there's one that says video, and you can click on it, and it shows you some of the video stuff that we've done. Yeah. yeah. We used to do regular video series, but we still do occasional special video episodes, and I think the best place to see them is on the website. Um, they don't show up yeah. in the podcast feed. You usually get a message from us saying, go to the website and watch it. Um, there's a couple of great ones, including a really cool presentation, Ellen, you did for our um, IGDATC meeting a couple months ago. Uh, that's on the website, and everybody should check that out. 
Yeah, and uh, our first our first Robostin session, right? When we first yeah, started the game. Yeah, that's right. It was a live mm-hmm. episode. That was a blast. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Featuring clock. <laughs> Featuring clock. <laughs> you should visit our website, nicegames.club. What was that? Nicegames.club. Dot what? That, that club. So it's that, that it's nicegames.club. That club. Oh, okay, great. Nice, nice games dot club. Yeah, I got it now. Clarification. Nice one, one dot one between dot. nice games and club. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Got it. That was a beautiful <laughs> mess. <laughs> that was that was maybe our best <laughs> one yet. <laughs>
I mean, I've just built some stuff myself if we go back far enough, like 10, 15 years. But more recently, like uh, when we talk about Agones, for example, like we collaborated with that with some people over at Ubisoft to get it started. And then once we sort of had like a 0.1, like we had an alpha version, that's when we were like, hey, everyone, come play in our sandpit um, and help us build it into a real thing. I kind of I kind of like that model. Like you have a certain opinion and you sort of set your tone on everything from this is what we're doing, how we're going to do it. And, you know, like what's what our culture is and this is what our architecture is vaguely going to look like. And if it slowly shifts over time, that's fine. But again, it sort of gives you that sacrificial draft, gives you something to start with. Um, starting from complete scratch can be really, really hard. I have seen some projects do it. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, it can just take a little while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's say like you've got a thing and you're like, this seems like a good base. If you're a small company and usually that's pretty easy, you're like, I will put it on GitHub. Um, that's pretty much the, the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, that's where everyone goes. You can do other places, it's fine, but vast majority of open source software ends up there. Um, you're going to end up with an issue tracker. Um, you're going to end up with uh, all the nice tools that come with GitHub and that kind of stuff. Right. right. Um, the next fun problem or next fun issue that you run into is how do you tell people about it? First, they got to know that the game is out, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. That's, a, that's a familiar uh, problem. Yeah, right? Yeah, you game just, devs have, I mean, right? I mean, you just put something on the Play Store or Steam and it's going to make money, right? Like, that's just how it works. You don't right. have to like, yeah. market it. That's or, what I've heard. Like, that's uh-huh. just, yeah, that's what I've heard. Listeners, <laughs> he's joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> That you had to say that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, right? Like, um, any product, any game, anything like that, you're gonna have to do some work to be like, hey, I built this thing, and I think it's cool. You should think it's cool too, because of the reasons I think it's cool. Um. And so like, personally, everything from social media posts, uh, I speak at conferences about open source, in particular open source projects, uh, writing blog posts, doing YouTube videos, like pretty standard marketing type stuff in today's day and age. Uh, but yeah, like depending on the size of the project as well and how much you want to draw people in, like depending on your goals, again, like that kind of stuff, sometimes you just want to throw something out there and see if it just sticks and like people like it or they don't. If there's a marketplace or a certain like directory of this kind of stuff, you know, you can do that. Um, very common in open source land, you'll see these awesome lists of like awesome tools. You might see some awesome gaming ones. There's just literally a website that's called Awesome Open Source, which has a gaming section in there as well, which is just a list of GitHub stuff. Mm. Um, GitHub itself has a bunch of tags, etc. Like all that kind of fun stuff. Um, it's super important. Uh, and so like, I mean, personally, I actually really want to see more game companies and people come to conferences and just be like, hey, I built this open source thing. You can use it. This is how we used it. It was really cool. We liked it for these reasons. This is what went right. This went wrong. Little uh, open source farmer's market, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and and like, um, in my experience at like conference, like if we're talking specifically conferences in like the games industry, and I feel like this has shifted, but like you go back three, four years, people didn't talk about actual tools they used. I feel it was a lot of conceptual stuff. Yeah. I feel like that's shifting slowly and you hear more about like, hey, I use this particular thing in this particular way, but that definitely wasn't the norm uh, for a long time. Um, and using, I, honestly, I think, yeah, using open source also is a nice way of sort of creeping that, creeping that wall down and like sort of knocking that away because we, we all work in the same industry. We all know what each other do. 
there's really actually no reason. And it's just if you want to if you want to benefit other people, yeah, we needed to have open and honest conversations about the trade offs between different ways of doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. just seems healthy and yeah. useful. And that, and honestly, that's a lot of the benefit I see from this. All of this, not not even necessarily just open source, yeah. but the transparency is that there's so many things that you mm. can learn from that. Um, there's been a more there's been more pushes to like have more like legalese out there so people can read like um, their pitch de- people's pitch decks or their yep. uh, or just their code in general, and people can look at it and go, "Oh, my code looks a little bit better than this code." And this was a like a a, a massively well-produced game than a lot of people played maybe I can, yeah. <laughs> maybe i'm not so bad at coding you know like <laughs> i think that's really important because I, I i think a lot of people like they get the wrong impression they see this game and it looks like you know 10 times better than whatever they think that they yep. could create at the moment and then if if you see the code and you can you know you can read the code and stuff and you can look at all of what the all of the mistakes and all of the the jankiness of the code or whatever and i mean not to say that <laughs> not to say that coders aren't good at yeah. coding it's just like Sometimes no. you got to get stuff out the door. <laughs> Everything is held together by duct tape, yeah. super glue, and a bit of string. Like, Sometimes, that's just the reality yeah, of the you made a decision right away in the beginning, and five years later, you're like, why yeah. did I do this to myself? And <laughs> I'm not talking yeah. from experience, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I was working with a teammate of mine recently who was, he started to do some more work in open source, and he was doing some releases for some projects. Yeah. And he was like, uh, I, was tr- I need to get this release out the door, but like the tests, like we have automated tests for it. He's like, the tests fail. And I'm like, how often do they fail? It was like one out of every 10 times. And I'm like, that's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, there's no ivory tower things here. Sometimes you just got to get a release out the door. Like uh, just, yeah, you'll work yeah. it out. You'll work it out at some yeah. point, but it's working nine yeah. times out of 10. Yeah. So you'll be fine. That's why you have the known bugs part of the release. Yeah. Notes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, we know. and you know, it's a flaky test and like, it's uh-huh. just, you'll go back and fix it. It's the problem with it. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Right. right. Yeah. And, you know, that all of that kind of thinking about, like, getting something out the door, even though it's not great, you, it, that happens when in closed source software, too. Right. It's just that you yeah. don't have to it's just you don't have to be embarrassed by people seeing it. And when the, and when there's a bug, you you don't the finger doesn't point at you so quickly. And yeah. so the the there's a there's more fear when it's open, I think, to 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 polish it and make it perfect. Um, and, and once you let go of that, it makes a lot of sense. And it's a. That, that demystification that Steven's talking about in terms of other industry stuff, the fact yeah. that, and yeah. like you were saying, people didn't share their tools. Like that is a, that is a disease of this industry is that is the secrecy. And, and, and if, if you, you know, even if you don't want to go the full open source route with your tools or, you know, your, or your workflow, like a lot of the lessons that come from that, that help for better yeah. workflows and better communities can apply to you anyway. Um, and gaming needs a good, healthy, like a shift in that direction i think yeah and i i said it before i i like to call it the facade of secrecy because Mm -hmm. the industry is so small and if you want to know like something about how like you're like hey uh would you like a beverage of choice and spend half an hour together like that's literally how hard it is to get past that 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 secrecy wall just like yeah, yeah, let's we're at, you know what we we know each other mm-hmm. we can we can have we can have a, a hot <laughs> beverage of some kind right like and then we'll have a discussion and so yes there's a yeah it's it's yeah it's it's really all pretend find out what's yeah, ultimately yeah, it's, yeah so, you know yeah. that's actually that's that is actually quite a bit more troubling because what that means is that that locks off access to beginners people who don't right. have access no absolutely you know folks who can't be in those networking scenarios right. and ultimately that absolutely. means uh, underrepresented groups like yeah. And so yeah. that's 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 worse than just keeping a secret. Yeah, no, and I look, I work primarily in like as we said, 
backend system for gaming. And mm. uh, I've said this many times before, but like the education in that space is just straight appalling. Um, mm. Like you're not like it's it's there's really two pathways as far as I see it for backend education. It's you uh, build a game that's multiplayer or online or connected and like hope you got it right. And it's trial by fire, which usually means mm. you didn't, but you'll <laughs> fudge it along the way and it'll be yeah. fine YOLO. Yeah. Right? Uh, or you join a company that already does it and you learn their specific way of doing it. And there's not a lot of room for anything else. So I like backend stuff for gaming is not taught at universities. There's there's some books out there about it, um, that kind of stuff. So that's why I got really passionate about it in both like the open source sense, but also like we're talking about the GDC Summit and that kind of stuff. Because there are so many people out there looking at the wider tech stuff that exists for like mobile apps or web apps or that kind of stuff and being like, hey, how do I how do I make this into a game thing? How does that work? But we're all doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. Hurts me in my core watching people reinvent the wheel constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're always uh, indie devs, especially. We're always just like, I just want the, I just want the library to just go, out, just slap onto my thing. I don't want to do any of the work and and like and you know and so maybe they'll go looking for open source projects, but that's not the right lesson. The right lesson is to like, yes, you want to, you don't want to reinvent the wheel, but you sh- you should at least endeavor to understand how it works. Yeah, and because sometimes and you, can do you do that through an open source mm-hmm. project. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you do. Like sometimes you're like, oh, there are things out there, but like my core competency in my game is this. So you know what? We should yeah, write yeah. that part. That part is important. But like all these other things, yeah, let's like it's build versus buy, right? Like which mm-hmm. bits are important that are important to me and like the thing that I'm building and it's like a core mechanic of what it is that I'm doing versus like, you know what, man? I just need some analytics for my game, right? Like or right. something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, to speaking to that then, um it because you don't want, yeah, you don't want people reinventing the wheel. You want them to feel comfortable just, you know, buying in, in the metaphorical sense. Um, what about documentation? How do you get people to understand how these things work? And how do you, I mean, like, you're not, if you're not, if it's not the same motivations for, you know, a, a commercial product, how do you convince contributors to document their code or to create readable documentation on the internet? Uh, docu- so if you want your uh, open source project to be uh, utilized, you have to have good documentation. End of story. 100%. Yeah. You can get away with a certain amount of handholding um, in like a community, like a, a Discord or a Slack forum or something. But ultimately, yeah, if you're, if you're really keen on that, having documentation from day one is super important. So the stuff I work on, for example, somebody writes a new feature, you write the documentation for it. That's just how that works. There's no, there's no if, buts, or maybes about it. Um, yeah. Having, and also as a maintainer, one of the ways that um, I ensure I scale and the people who also work on the project scale is about documentation. Um, there's less toil for me as a maintainer of answering the same questions or solving the same problems again um, if my documentation is up to scratch um, and has a good developer experience or has a good experience for whoever's using it. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a big, massive thing. So I know there are people out there who like writing documentation and some of those who don't, but yeah, get on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if there are ways that you can automate some of that stuff too, that's also good, like depending yeah. on your programming language, that kind of stuff. Sorry, you're going to say something. Oh, uh, well, actually speaking to that, I've, I've been writing a, a game engine in Lua for some reason. And, um, <laughs> and there, I, I found a great tool like for, I found a great tool where I just comment my code and then I, and then I run a command line thing and it makes me a great uh, thing. And I get to write a CSS document for, and I love CSS. So it looks, looks great. And like that, I, I found a way to make it work for me because I knew that it was going to be a challenge if I left it to, uh, to do later. Um, and so I, I wanted to yes. come up with some sort of automated system. 
but that but now that um i'm working with a small developer community and, and like i'm getting some pull requests now for that and i and i have to think about like what my role as a maintainer is because i'm 100 percent new to this Ooh. but but speaking to documentation specifically it sounds like you're saying that it, it in terms of like um it's a top-down responsibility of the maintainer at least in your eyes is that is that the best model are there other models for Maintaining that, like being a consistent voice, especially if it's something that is communicating to, you know, it needs to be a readable uh, document. Yeah. If 10 people write it, can you manage that the same way 10 people writing a, a code? Um, I think there's there's two aspects to that, one of which is like project governance. Like, how do you yeah. how do you organize an open source project? Um, I think I think there I think there is. I think with I mean, in terms of documentation specifically, especially in the open source sense, as long as it's readable and understandable, like I don't think it, I don't think it matters too much. Um, okay. I think you'll you'll generally find you'll coalesce towards a vaguely similar voice or or pattern of doing things inside documentation, especially as you take on external contributors that come in. Quite often, there's the pattern inside uh, open source projects is what you have. Uh, somebody submits a pull request, so like it's a contribution. Like somebody hands in some code. Um, and then there's a reviewer, like who needs to go through it. So there's always that opportunity to review, check on wording, check on things, same as you would do with your code, the same thing you do with your documentation, make sure it makes sense, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I honestly, I'm usually not worried about tone or anything like that. But if you have, you know, people who come back and look at it and be like, hey, that's really awesome. But you know, what? it'd be great if we had an example or a warning here, or hey, this is, you know, only applicable here or put it in this place that kind of stuff it's often yeah so much easier for people to contribute to, to an existing set of documentation as much as it is often to an existing code base and is to something entirely new but that's a that's usually yeah i've never really thought about tone usually it's fine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. also if somebody's contributing it and like they're a contributor like having documentation that make, that makes sense in a, in a reasonable way is way more important than having like like I, I don't like I don't know like like specific brand speak guideline for an open source project sure, like you might sure. for like a commercial company. Mm -hmm. So uh, it becomes less of a concern. It's more about readability. What's my onboarding path? How do people get in and out like in a in a in a nice way? Um, how do I ramp them up? You know, gradually rather than dropping them in the deep end. Like all that kind of good good information architecture type stuff. Sure. And ultimately, I imagine you know if somebody is contributing to the thing, they end up. Um, contributing to the tone of the overall project in some way, shape, or form too, right? So like, it's a yeah, it, it so it makes sense that like you don't, you wouldn't need to necessarily be as concerned about like the tone of the thing, um, because like that'll just it you know. it'll it'll just become what it becomes. Yeah, right? exactly. And right. yeah, as long as no one's like you know you're an loosely, idiot and you're yeah. doing it that way, like don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> don't do that. Have a have a code of conduct in your open source project. I just yeah. want to make sure that's also 100% clear. Right, right. Um, there's some great ones out there that exist. Um, we use the uh, Code Covenant, Code of Conduct that's used in a bunch of places. That's a great place to start if you if you need one. Uh, so that 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 makes certain things rich easier. <laughs> um, and you can drop that straight in. So that gives you that gives you a tone from the outset of just being nice and stuff. But yeah, otherwise, there there are different models for open source. Um, depending on what you're doing and how you're doing it. Like if you're a small thing and it's like, and you know, like uh, Steven, you're, you're going to release this open source project that you're just talking about clearly. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you, if you release it on your own GitHub, uh, I would commonly refer to that as like a benevolent dictator type model, right? Which is, mm -hmm. you know, it's your project. You do what you want with it. I've definitely stepped into that role a bit and that can be fine. Usually that's fine until you reach a certain point where the benevolent dictator is like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Ah, um, and you yeah. can just start expanding out and then you can go to 
all the way to things like where you have technical steering committees, uh, voting for positions on boards, like all that kind of stuff where you get into some of the really big ones, but usually that's yeah. not necessarily required. A lot of the stuff that I work on, it's, it's, we work on general consensus, which is fine. Like as long as a few people throw in their opinions, we're like, yeah, that seems like a vaguely good idea. Let's whoosh in that direction. <laughs> and you sort of coalesce yourself into, into a path that seems to make the most amount of sense at the time. But yeah, yeah it sort of just depends on how you want to structure that stuff. Sure. But it, it does seem like you do need a kind of governance model that's appropriate to the scale of your project. Uh, yeah. Having some decision on it up front is usually a good idea. Like so that you're like, yeah. okay, this is what we're doing for now. Yeah, I think people, a lot of times, if the first time you hear about open source, you're like, oh, so it's Wild West. It's just anybody can do whatever. And that's <laughs> yeah. that's sort of true in the sense that I can take the code and do whatever I want with it. Mm -hmm. But actually maintaining a project is actually, that's a whole different thing rather than the, the, sort, the code being available, the source being open, or the license being free. Actually maintaining the canonical, the trunk of the branch or the trunk of the tree, right? Like, that's kind of a whole separate thing. And people conflate those a little bit. Like how how do you how do you approach uh, that idea of like yeah there's the benevolent dictator or there's the steering committee, like um, and someone wants to contribute something and nobody yep. else thinks it's a good idea how do you, how do you convince that person that yes we still want you in this community even though this thing you want to do no one else wants yeah you have to politely say no um, yeah <laughs> essentially and explain I think explaining your reasoning also helps I think um, educating your community as well on I like to say efficient, maybe, or like um, complementary, maybe. I don't know if it's what it like. Basically, how to like socially interact in in like the most mm -hmm. efficient ways, or ways that's not going to waste anyone's time, um, give everyone a pleasant experience is is super important. The analogy I like to use, especially, is like it's the same it's the same social skills you use in real life you would use in an open source project, right? Like if you if you walked into a party where you didn't know anyone, and you're like, oh my god, everyone, look at me! Like everyone would be like, who's why what huh um whereas if you like way you right like that so like, like that can be literally walking into a project and being like here's ten thousand lines of code for this thing and you're like i don't know this person do i trust them what is this code i yeah. don't know what to do with it uh yeah thank you very much i really appreciate the work you're doing but i don't think we're going to take on the maintenance burden of this at this time <laughs> versus like yeah you walk into a party like you find the people you might know you introduce yourself to them you meet them you meet the people they meet like you, you expand your area of influence, you gain credibility, you gain trust, all that kind of stuff. That also applies. It's a community. Uh, right. like any mm -hmm. project, it's a community. Even if it's just a, a very small one where it's like, um, mm -hmm. like what was I working on recently? Like I have an Elgato stream deck and uh, the support for that on Linux is not great, but there's a great Rust library for it. So I found the person who was working on that and I've contributed to like three or four things back. And I've noticed that over time, he uh he approves my pull requests much faster the more stuff i've contributed back sure. because he's like oh yeah 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 that's that's yep yeah, yeah. mark i've been working with mark on this for a while now we've never met we don't know each other but <laughs> we've had that interaction yeah and so in doing that um making sure like yeah starting small hey like you're like hey i have an idea so file file an issue early be like this is my idea this is my motivation for it what do people think mm. um rather than committing yourself to like all this work and then potentially having it rejected or, or going down a path that's not, the, not, a, not an optimal path for either the project's goals or what the actual functionality should be, et cetera. Managing expectations, right? Like, like we do in real life, you know, in the, in, the, in the real world, quote unquote, ensures that that can make that a bit easier too. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes as a maintainer, it's about both the technical aspect, but also just like nudging people in the right way of being like, this is great. Um, 
but you know, maybe do you want to close this for now and start a design ticket and then come back and we'll we'll talk through it and maybe this works and this doesn't, but that's going to be a much easier path for us, you know, sort of putting that positive spin on it and stuff as well. Um, I try not to advocate people do certain things like that was terrible. What is wrong with you? Like, don't, please don't go that path. That's be nice to people. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You want to respect people's time, even if you don't yeah. like their code. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, um, especially when you're talking open source, most people aren't paid for this. Um, it goes mm-hmm. both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from user to maintainer, maintainer down to contributor and user. Um, it's very easy to just someone be like, well, I'm just going to take my toys and go home. I don't want to do this anymore. This is no fun. Uh, so both from like a human empathy point of view, but also like a commercial point of view, if yeah. you want people to keep building this stuff and doing this stuff, then yeah, you should be nice to them. <laughs> um, oh, that <laughs> explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> not joking, not joking. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny that when when you are just kind of encouraging and positive about things, people tend to keep doing them as sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Well, we're, I mean, we're not nice games club for nothing, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm in the right place for this conversation. I feel. Yeah. Um, one thing I have seen in the open source community, which I actually really love, and it's it's been sharing up more in maybe even the last six months or a year is people will just open up issues on GitHub and just be like, hey, I just wanted to let you know I love your project and the work you're doing. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like, that's a lovely, because so often all you ever hear is like, this thing doesn't work or why did you do it this way? And you're like, yeah. oh man, really? Yeah. And that can become draining. Uh, so that mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is always super nice. Yeah. Do you ever close those tickets? <laughs> <laughs> Not in my heart. Never oh. in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was going to also say there's a lot of open source projects that have like Patreons or like ways to donate stuff. Yeah. Again, depending on the project itself and how big it is and what foundations they have built, they may also have like features for pay and like all kinds of other different types of monetization strategies like that too. Um, mm-hmm. Again, depending on the project and what it is they do and what, what how they get built out and stuff as well. So there's there's all kinds of ways of saying appreciation for, for the work that people do. Okay. So we've been talking about open source. That's why we're here. You said you had some opinions about consoles and open source. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. This is where I get in trouble. Okay. So um, this is, this is, this is, uh, I will, I will preface this with, uh, this is a general thought process that has been rolling around in my head a little bit as I step a little bit on the client side side of things in open source. One, one challenge I've seen specifically on the client side that I've seen come up again and again and again, right? So, um, for example, I do. A, I'm really interested in like the Rust programming language. It's something I'm really interested in, especially for the gaming space. Um, using places where people use C++, uh, like stuff like the Bevy engine. If people have been tracking that, like I think that's really cool and interesting. I think there's some really awesome innovation happening around game engine and client side game development. Um, but the challenge that we run into constantly in that space that I see anyway, from my perspective, is like is consoles. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They're NDA. You don't know what the tech is. Even if you do know, you can't say. Yeah. Right. Like, what is the platform? If I'm a commercial game company, why would I choose something like that that may or may not support on a console? Eh. Um, like, uh, specifically, like we we're talking a little bit before about Godot, um, supply and, and stuff. Um, they have, I know, they have like companies that will do console support for you. Again, that's an extra layer you need to vet. There's just that extra bit of friction with that, which I think is upsetting because I think it's a really cool project and it's great to see that. And I'd love to see that for other game engines as well. So 
if anyone I know who works at any of those companies who work consoles, and I know I work for one of them who works on like Stadia and stuff as well, and opinions are my own, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like who is interested in seeing if there's ways that we can at the very least open up the technical requirements of what it runs, what it means to run on a console and what we need to do to get like an, like if you're, if there's a way to say like, here's a self certifying script you could run to say my open source engine or tool or whatever runs on a console it doesn't have to be performant or anything or anything in that sort of vein mm-hmm. or like here's the standard sets of platform tools that you're available with i think that would help drive innovation in the community like a lot because yeah. absolutely like mm-hmm. i totally understand the commercial perspective of being like hey we want to be able to run this game everywhere right and there are stories of people doing all sorts of weird and wacky stuff right like super glue and tape to get it to work on all platforms but yeah. mm-hmm. if you don't know that just you're gonna you're gonna stick with tried and true, right? You're gonna use Unreal. You're gonna use Unity, right? Like yep. as you know, it works and it's the least area to, to to friction. And that I honestly that that that, that upsets me because it stifles the ingenuity and some of the creativity that can come out of open source and just general areas that aren't backed by a big company. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other like, and I'm sure there's reasons. There's there's probably also some security through obscurity, right? Like if we don't tell people, then people don't know how to hack us. And, and that kind of stuff. And I'd love to learn more about kind of that sort of stuff. But I also look at the fact that like, I, I'm going to do it be on a podcast, hold up my phone in the air, right? Like if we can <laughs> securely support these millions of these little devices, um, why can't we do it on consoles? Yeah. 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 And I'll tell you, I, I, I can speak firsthand to that. I'm the, one of the games I'm working on is uh, in an, the open source, open FL library. And I'm getting, and I'm getting that on the switch. And there's a there's a, a, a you know a version of the library that will work on Switch, and it's maintained by two people, and then only, only the users who have it are the people who are behind that Nintendo NDA, and everybody is miserable. Like we're all we all are desperate to make this work. We all yeah. know everything we need to know, but we are so constrained, and the license on that code is complicated as hell, mm-hmm. and yep. all of it is for nothing. There is no value to anybody. For that being the way it is, and it's it, I'm like I'm like emotional about it. Like I'm with you 100. Like there's, I think you're you're giving almost too much credit to the the reasons why it might be this way. Like there is no reason it's this way. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Grumpy game, I don't know games why club. it's. <laughs> I, I I've I've never seen behind the curtain. The people mm-hmm. who are behind the curtain can't speak to it, so I don't actually know. Yeah. Um. And that's that. Like I love transparency and like that kind of stuff. Like that's something that's is clearly that's dear near to my heart. Um, but it also seems like, uh, you know, it's like, I, I, I keep going back to the Rust community, but there's, there's some threads about people who have got like stuff working on Rust for the console, but at the same time, like, is my game popular enough that enables me to do that? Did they get special treatment? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't want to do the same work you've done. It seems like the sort of problem that if there was like, and the same sort of problem you have that a community would form and build out the solution for that and just give it to everybody and just be like, here. Right. Just yeah. do it. Um, and then it'd be, it'd be, yeah, it would solve so many problems and allow people to just kind of see some really cool stuff come out. Um, yeah. see some, it, it, I, I don't want to see stagnation, technical stagnation in the industry. Yeah. We've already got mm-hmm. enough blockers to that as it currently stands. Um, yeah. That I don't, I don't want to see an extra one there. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I will put myself out there. Uh, if anyone wants to work on that and as, as avenues that to, to sort of start to break that down, um, mm-hmm. 
and and do it in a, and, and honestly, like do it in a way that makes sense, right? Like we don't want to open security mm-hmm. halls. We don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. We want to make sure. sure that like the right things are in place. But I feel mm-hmm. like there should be a way to be like, show show enough information that people are able to work within that 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 arena without you know giving away too much if that mm-hmm. makes sense yeah yeah find me on twitter dm me i'm here that's exactly <laughs> what i was going to ask you next where can people find you on the internet <laughs> yeah if they've got if they've got a way to help how can they how can they help you Absolutely. Uh, easiest way to find me would be definitely on Twitter. Uh, I have a two, I think I joined Twitter in 2006. So my, my Twitter handle is neurotic, which is an old IRC handle I had when I was 15. And it's probably one of the last <laughs> remnants of that. Uh, it's amazing. DM, yeah. DMs are open for better or worse. Um, so you can definitely find me there. Um, I work on a project called Agones. If you go to agones.dev, we have links to the Slack channel, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so you can definitely also find me there. Um, if you get super bored and you feel like watching me ramble on about open source stuff as I'm coding, uh, you can find me on Twitch at Mark Mandel and YouTube at Mark S. Mandel. Uh, very occasionally, I also release uh, videos, which I call uh, online game technology drawn badly, which is literally me <laughs> trying to explain stuff while drawing it extremely badly. I love it. I have a few more I need to do at some point. It was just fun. I was just like, I just want to explain some stuff and I'm just going to draw it really badly. Um, so yeah, if you want to hit me up, I'm, I'm, I'm around. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah. And we will. You did forget to mention something, though. That your dog has a Twitter handle? Oh, yes. I'm oh, sorry. The most yeah. important thing. Oh, <laughs> no, 100% right. Uh, my dog does have a Twitter handle. You can follow her at Suki Tweets. Uh, sometimes she and I joke off each other because she thinks she has a sense of humor. She's wrong, but sometimes she's funny. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Mark. We'll definitely uh, we'll look you up. Please do. That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics and Twitter accounts. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and skateboarding dogs in cowboy hats. I'll you. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes. Join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club Discord. And now, well, I'm not sure if we can say that anymore. We've been on Patreon a while. You should check it out. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. Also, importantly, before we close out, what else is on the Patreon is pictures of Ellen's dogs. So, Oh, yes. Relevant. If you're if you're more dog content available for you, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash nice games club. Mm-hmm. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. One thing that um, people don't talk about as much, I think. Bye, dog. (laughs) Thanks for visiting.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.